Every business comes to life through its service experience. Your business success depends on whether your customers are loyal to you. That's where real value and profit is created. Great companies ubiquitously have great customer experiences. A thin red line divides those that invest and consistently deliver what their customers need and those that fail and get disrupted. In competitive and challenging times, leaders need to double down on their customer experience. Learn and grow the value you create. Grow your success. Be on the right side of that thin red line. This is the CX Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and customer experience guru, public speaker, and author. Your business success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to the CX Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey. Today, I'm incredibly pleased to have with me Dr. Leonard Berry. Uh, he's a university distinguished professor of marketing at Regents Professor and holds the MB Zale Chair in Retail Marketing uh, Leadership in the Mays Business School at Texas A&M University. He's also a prof uh, pr presidential professor for teaching excellence. Uh, he's done a lot of in-depth research in healthcare services, uh, which was the basis for his book on management lessons for the Mayo Clinic. He's a senior fellow of the Institute of Health for Healthcare Improvement, uh, has studied service improvement in cancer care, uh, for patients and their families, such an important topic, published over 13 books in total. Uh, and what really caught my attention is two recent articles that are incredibly important uh, that uh, uh, Len published. One is around service safety in the pandemic age, and the other one is around essential services uh, workforce for crisis response, which I think brings some incredibly important themes to the table. So a true customer experience guru, uh, Len, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining. Well, thank you. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for having me today. Thank you. And I'd love if you could share a little bit about how you got into the, the customer experience space and your passion around it, and, and specifically around the healthcare space, which is such an important topic. Yes. Well, uh, I am a marketing professor at the, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, is the, at the Mays Business School, Texas A&M. And uh, my career uh, focus has been on the marketing of services, which got me uh, very quickly uh, centered on the quality of service because you really can't market a service if the quality is poor. Yep. And uh, for much of my career, I focused on services marketing and service quality in the commercial sector, mm -hmm. uh, transportation services, financial services, retail services, uh, and so forth. And then uh, I had a very powerful sabbatical leave experience in the 2001-2002 academic year mm -hmm. where I studied at the Mayo Clinic. I wanted to learn about healthcare service. Right. And I got hooked on healthcare. I mean, really hooked, Eric. Mm -hmm. And I started to learn about all the problems that we have in healthcare. Yep. The inefficiencies, the safety issues, mm -hmm. the shortage of certain healthcare specialists and nurses and and so on and so forth and and the cost of healthcare. And so I I made it a commitment way back when almost 20 years ago now mm -hmm. while I was at Mayo Clinic studying that when I got back to the university after my sabbatical I was going to focus on healthcare service mm -hmm. leverage my background my career background in services marketing and service quality 
and focus on the problems in healthcare and see if I could help. And that's what I've been doing ever since. And so that is a great segue as well into the current COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, your, your article on service safety in the pandemic age uh, brings some very interesting uh, points that I think are, are really relevant now for, for today and for tomorrow. Uh, but really in terms of safety is now paramount to the service transaction, uh, to the service relationship that you have. Uh, you talk a lot about the uh, the impact that trust has on, on the customer experience space. Can you can you t- touch a little bit on that? And, and then we can get into some of the, the organizations that have done really well in terms of service adaptation and transformations. Sure, sure. Well, when we think of a service, we, we, we think of a, an intangible product mm-hmm. in which we basically have to trust the provider of that product yep. because there's really no tires to kick if we're buying <laughs> right. a car, you know, there's no clothing to try on if we're buying apparel, mm-hmm. we're buying a service, we're buying a performance, mm-hmm. we're buying a promise of performance, of quality, and we pay for that performance before we experience it. That's where trust comes in. So trust, trusting the service organization, the service provider, has always been a paramount concern in the marketing of services. When when the pandemic hit, uh, COVID, mm-hmm. uh, quickly uh, the issue of safety from infection, from getting sick, getting so sick that you might even die, uh, became a, a key issue, a key element of the trust that service customers expect from the organizations that serve them. Mm-hmm. And so what, in effect, COVID has done, Eric, is it's merged the issue of service safety into the bigger issue of service trust. Incredibly important point. And and you quote uh, in your article, a March 2020 study that found that 60% of Americans um, are very or extremely concerned about their health and their family's health, um, with 43% very extremely concerned about their employment or income. So two key themes at at the height of the, at the front end of the pandemic, um, that hit and made trust even more important. And it, it relates really to an experience that I had that made me think about what am I, uh, what am I doing this before the pandemic really became a, a topic, uh, before all the lockdowns started coming in. I remember being in a hotel and realizing that the emails were saying, we're doing all these steps. And then when I was in the restaurant, people weren't actually following those steps. And that started made me question the trust that I had in a brand that I had trusted for, for a decade. So I think it, really important piece around it. What you experienced, what you just described, is you experienced a series of what what I call clues mm-hmm. because a, a, a service experience is really a collection of all kinds of clues uh, about this basically intangible performance mm-hmm. that we pick up on to help us interpret and understand and uh, trust or not trust the service that we're receiving. And uh, so in that restaurant, you picked up a, a, a series of clues that were uh, 
that were interfering with or undermining your confidence mm-hmm. in that in that overall service. It 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 flowed to your concern about the service as a whole in the hotel, right. not just in the restaurant. And and that's that's the way it works. That's that's the way uh, it works. Every part of every service experience that customers notice, that customers value, that customers believe is important, uh, an important signal to the service's quality, uh, creates this impression. Mm-hmm. And this impression uh, gets bigger and bigger. And, uh, and, and so that's, it's really a very good story you told because it illustrates the concept of customer experience. Uh, in in your article, you also speak about not just the physical safety component, uh, but you also touch on the importance of, of looking after emotional, financial, and information safety. Can you touch a little bit on on those those themes and, and the importance for service quality? Yes, and the these themes of physical safety, emotional safety, financial safety, information safety have become much more uh, much more dynamic, uh, much more top of mind, uh, much much more uh, uh, pertinent to customers' perceptions and 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 concerns mm-hmm. uh, because of this this health crisis, this this amazing, a health crisis. It's so lethal. Mm-hmm. It's so contagious. We can we can become ill interacting with someone who's who has no symptoms at all. Correct. Yep. Uh, we can c- become ill by touching something that someone who was ill touched uh, three mm-hmm. hours before. <laughs> and <laughs> and, uh, and it's an illness that uh, it's, it's, a, it's a virus that uh, people are dying from. Right. And so it has scared people. And, and so safety uh, has become so prominent in the delivery of services because of fear. Because of fear. And mm-hmm. so in writing the article, my colleagues and I, uh, thought through the different kinds of of safety that had become much more important in services than pre-pandemic, and the physical safety aspect is is the most obvious one. Sure, you know, a safety from illness, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, do I really want to make that air that uh, airplane trip? Uh, <laughs> sit, even if they keep the middle seat empty, empty they promised, do I really want to sit in an airplane with all those other people? Right. All those strangers. Uh, and do I trust the airline to have really cleaned it the way they are saying in their advertising how mm-hmm. much they're cleaning their airplanes after each flight? And as a result, just today, the day we're making this recording, uh, we're reading about these proposed layoffs from all the big airlines. Right. Huge mm-hmm. layoffs. You know, 40,000 employees, 30,000 yep. employees. 
that, that are coming in, unless there's another government uh, uh, bailout for mm-hmm. the airlines. So that's physical safety. Emotional safety is, is directly related to the concept of fear that I mentioned just a minute ago. Right. You know, uh, uh, making uh, emotional safety is, is helping people feel more emotionally secure, mm-hmm. uh, more emotionally confident uh, about their circumstances. Uh, and it relates to uh, concerns about physical illness. It relates to concerns stemming from isolation, from stay at home from not uh, living your normal life. Right. Uh, and it, it, and it, it certainly stems from um, something we'll talk about in, in a few minutes when we get to essential workers uh, having to go to work and not right. being able to work remotely and having to interact with people like a cashier in a supermarket. Mm-hmm. So that's where the emotional safety uh, dimension comes in. Financial safety concerns uh, the safety of of one's financial assets, one's financial security, mm-hmm. uh, its protection from the economic stresses that yeah. have been associated with the pandemic. Am I going to get laid off? Am I going to get furloughed? Am I going? Is my husband going to lose his job? Is my wife going to lose her job? Right. Um, will there ever be a job that I'm trained for to come back to after the pandemic? These are all Mm -hmm. related to the financial issue. And then information safety. That's really an important issue, Eric. And we, uh, my colleagues and I really wanted to include information safety in our article. Mm -hmm. Um, And now that we're, we're, we're going through the political season, Right. In addition addition to uh, experiencing the pandemic, the uh, importance of information safety, Mm -hmm. uh, being able to trust the sources of information that you use. Right. uh, Is is obvious. Absolutely. Yeah. So those are the four types of safety that we we wrote about in the article. And I think these are very important considerations for service because I think in the near term, these are important, but I would, I would propose, and I hope you agree that these themes are probably going to be relevant for a very long time because there will still be some, some scars or remembering of a a shared experience that an entire population, world population has has experienced roughly at the same time. Um, So, so I think the needs will probably go beyond in terms of an expectation of, how is my service safe? Even if the pandemic is controlled, it may just be uh, it, it, it pushed into other boundaries and into other themes. Would you agree? I absolutely agree. Uh, I, I think the, uh, the uh, pandemic has, has energized forces that were already underway but have energized them into a whole new concept of what a quality service looks like and is. Mm -hmm. And uh, these four types of service safety are not going to go away. Right. Because we're going to continue to have a crisis of one type or another that impact 
large segments of the population or the population as a whole. Mm-hmm. Right now, the day that we're speaking to one another, Eric, right mm-hmm. now, we're, we're dealing with, obviously, uh, this uh, worldwide pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're also dealing, on the day that we're talking to one another, mm-hmm. we're dealing, uh, I'm sitting in Texas talking to you. Yep. Uh, and in a matter of hours, a hurricane is going to hit our <laughs> coasts. Right and the coasts of Louisiana. Uh, And if we go west to California, you have uh, dozens and dozens of huge uh, fires going on right now. (laughs) So we have kind of the triple whammy happening as we're speaking today. Right. And all of these forms of safety are relevant to uh, each of these crises that are underway. And I think it will heighten the uh, awareness of a lot of these themes. I, I was in conversations a couple of days ago with people in, in California, as you mentioned, and uh, some could see the flames from their house, uh, which is which is a very very scary thought. And, and and you, I don't think you can really ever get used to that. Um, so I think really important themes. Can, can you share maybe a little bit in your articles? You talk a little bit about some service transformations and adaptations that organizations have done. Any any thoughts based on what you've seen, uh, ideas for organizations that are looking to enhance uh, what they're doing on the on the service side? Yes, um, we we um, uh, made a distinction in our writing, Eric, between uh, service adaptations, mm-hmm. which are adaptations to convey uh, stronger safety clues to customers during the pandemic. Some of which will last beyond the pandemic and some of which uh, probably will not. Right. For example, uh, assuming that we we get an effective effective vaccine for for COVID in the next uh, year or so and and uh, all who want to be vaccinated are vaccinated uh, i don't expect that waiters in restaurants a couple of years from now will still be wearing masks right so that <laughs> but but they are now and they need Correct. they need to be mm-hmm. and so that's an example of an adaptation a service adaptation But we also uh, talk about service transformations Mm -hmm. and service transformations are services that have embedded the safety issues that we've been discussing today, Mm -hmm. but also offer other benefits that are so appealing that the overall service is actually better than what existed pre-pandemic. Right. And so these transformations are uh, most most likely to uh, continue to be used uh, as part of the service offering uh, long after this current uh, uh, COVID-19 pandemic uh, is is basically over. And could you, yeah. could you sh- share an example of a, of a of service transformation that uh, you think was quite uh, quite impactful. Yes, I, I, I'd be happy to. Uh, we, we write, we 
we've written about several of them in the in the article, but but probably my favorite one in the article is um, it 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 actually started in Australia. One of my mm-hmm. co-authors is Australian, right? And she researched this particular example, and it it was started by a winery called uh, in. Uh, Innocent bystander, okay, in, in the uh, Melbourne area of, of Australia. Innocent bystander, mm-hmm. and this was a popular winery that people would come uh, in person mm-hmm. uh, for wine tastings and demonstrations and tours and the like. Right, and the big business. Mm-hmm. Well, when the shutdown, the lockdown occurred in. Uh, in Australia, mm-hmm. uh, the, this winery had a choice. They shut down their business because people couldn't come to the winery anymore. Right. The the wine tasting part of their business. Or they could do what they actually did do, and that is they started a virtual wine tasting uh, service in which... Uh, in which they they uh, live stream tasting sessions to uh, allow, allow their winemakers and, and their their staff to share their passion for wine with customers who were online and streaming right. service, uh, rather than customers sitting on the other side of the bench at the winery because they couldn't, and so. Mm-hmm. Uh, these virtual wine tasting sessions uh, included a, a selection of, of wines that the customer could pick before the uh, before the session that they wanted to taste, and uh, it, it it included uh, different uh, suggested food pairings with go with the wine, mm-hmm. and the service even included. Uh, in, invite your friends to a wine tasting party that would, would be done virtually. Hmm. And so the host could pick the wines and pick the menu and the food and the wines would be delivered. Wow. To all the, uh, all the uh, people invited to your virtual wine tasting party. Huh. And that became so popular that the owner of the business is his, uh, they're planning to continue this service uh, post pandemic. Phenomenal. Post lockdown. So it's just, it's a great example of the opportunity I think we have mm-hmm. during this horrific experience of, uh, of COVID to actually improve the imagination. Uh, and the creativity and the appeal and the value to customers of many of the services that we offer in the future. And I think you hit a really important point there because I, I have definitely seen over the last several weeks and months uh, incredible uh, levels of creativity in some organizations in terms of a desire to find a way to enhance, to innovate, uh, the adaptation is, is in some cases the year zero one. So you talk in your, in, in your ex- examples of restaurants going from dining experience to more uh, takeout. Uh, those happen early on, but there's, there's so many things of great examples of 
uh, great innovation that's happened in, in the space. So uh, definitely something that's really important. And I think even if, if one of the things that struck me uh, a while back when we were traveling a lot is going to Asia was the impact of MERS and SARS was obviously felt more in Asia than it was in North America. And some of the elements had left some lasting elements in society that um, in some cases are probably positive. For example, the, the concept of the mask became more accepted. If you're feeling a cold, even if it wasn't a pandemic, then you would protect your, your, your customers. And it was something that became accepted, whereas here it was probably taboo if, if you'd wore a mask uh, prior to the pandemic. Yes, yes. Um, yes, those, those early, earlier experiences we had in the, in the world uh, really help prepare at least parts of the world, I think help prepare parts of the world more so than the United States, unfortunately, uh, for the current pandemic. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, as a, as a country, we really were so unprepared for COVID. It, it's just such a tragedy. It is. And, and I think it's actually a great segue into your other, other article around the, the concept of an essential services workforce. And, and really, uh, I think the, the part that struck me there is really uh, how we were unprepared really for the protection of the well-being of so many different essential services that are so critical to, to, our, to our infrastructure and, and to be able to operate as a, as a modern society. Can you touch a little bit about the concept that you introduced around the essential services workforce? Because I think it's a very interesting proposal that definitely needs to get more airwave and attention. Yes. Um, it, w- what happened when the pandemic uh, struck and we, uh, we had to start to, to uh, close down parts of our economy here and, and of course elsewhere, but, but the focus of this article, the essential services workforce is on the United States. What happened is there are certain parts of the economy you can't close down because uh, we need certain services to continue to function, such as food. So we really couldn't close down the grocery stores. And so here here you had relatively uh, low paid uh, employees of supermarkets, such as cashiers, Mm -hmm. uh, who suddenly were put in harm's way, interacting, from two feet away at the cashier stand with uh, lines of customers, Mm -hmm. some of whom may have been sick and the cashier wasn't wearing any protective equipment. Right. Uh, This was pre-mask, pre-everything for most of the country. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in fact, the early response of most retailers was to disallow their, their employees to wear a mask. Right. To wear a mask. And um, so, Eric, can you still hear me? My screen is... Absolutely. Yeah, I can still hear you. Yeah, (laughs) great. It's just my my screen. (laughs) Fine. So so here you had uh, a scenario played played out among a, a whole variety of different kinds of essential workers. 
of basically service workers who were essential to uh, deliver services that absolutely could not be stopped. Right. From picking up garbage to police protection to the fire station to running food stores and pharmacies, uh, medical services, and, and, and the like. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, we wrote this particular piece. I wrote it with a doctor, just me and mm-hmm. Dr. Brad Stewart, who is a, a really distinguished and competent physician and who is an expert, absolute expert in COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, uh, Dr. Stewart and I wrote this piece in which we, we talked about the, the absolutely uh, critical step that we need to take in this country mm-hmm. to uh, have a national and state coordinated strategy to support and to protect essential workers for crises, not just health crises, right? the other kinds of crises that are around the corner, mm-hmm. to protect them, to support them. Uh, to protect them from harm, to uh, to support them financially, to provide the kinds of safety that we talked about earlier in the, in this podcast, mm-hmm. and this requires what we called uh, a coordinated. Uh, we call it an, an essential services workers alliance, right? Which would be a coordinated federal state level. Uh, effort to prepare for crises and to have the teams in place, different kinds of specialists that you need, right? The logistics specialists, the financial specialists, the safety specialists, the climate specialists, the epidemiologists, the public health people to have the special specialists you need to put in place a coordinated plan early, as soon as possible, to mm-hmm. support and to protect the people that have no choice but to go to work uh, to keep the rest of the country well. Yeah, and, and a really important point that you bring up because this was something that I don't think was really thought about, but as you mentioned before, uh, there's, there's Hurricane Laura on its way towards Texas and Louisiana today. And uh, we've definitely seen from prior hurricanes the need, the importance of the essential services as among, among as well the first responders that come, but also kind of maintaining some of the, the key components that are, that are needed. So I, I think the applicability is even beyond a pandemic. Uh, it would be to, to protect what's needed to, to maintain modern society, really. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, and hindsight, of course, is easier Mm -hmm. than foresight. But, Eric, I think the the biggest failing, and I'm not making a political statement. Right. I'm just making a factual statement. Mm -hmm. The biggest failing in the United States with COVID has been the absence of a national coordinated strategy from the beginning. Yeah. Our ad hoc approach 
to uh, controlling and managing and defeating COVID mm-hmm. uh, has, has been essentially a failure. Right. And it's cost, uh, it's, it's cost, you know, just enormously uh, in, in people's health and people's emotional well-being and pe- people's livelihood and certainly in our economy and, and our reputation around the world mm-hmm. as a country that should have done better right. uh, than we did. And I think it's, and I agree, it's not a political point. You bring up in, in your articles as well, the South Korean experience. Um, South Korea, obviously, when, when I double-clicked to understand kind of what the, what the elements were, there was a lot of learnings from their MERS experience. And then they try to then uh, make sure they were better prepared for any future events. So I think that's uh, definitely, a, a, hopefully, something that will come out of this so that if there is a next time, and hopefully there isn't, that we come better prepared for it. Yes. Yes. Uh, so so I, I'm glad mm-hmm. that you asked me about this so that your listeners, Eric, can think about this idea because it's not only uh, this, this concept of, of an essential services worker alliance. It's not only a, a government uh, alliance. It's a, it's a, a government uh, private alliance. You need right. government working in cooperation, in tandem, creatively with private business. Because private business, uh, private business is in best, the best position to actually implement the protective and supportive uh, measures that we need for their employees. Right. You know, one of the saddest uh, statistics that I saw some time ago was that one of the uh, most dangerous, uh, most most dangerous uh, jobs mm-hmm. of them all, in terms of essential workers, was the job of bus driver. Oh, really? in terms of, of infection rates and deaths. Wow. And another, uh, another group are the police. The police, of course, are right. in so much, uh, uh, getting so much attention today for the mm-hmm. wrong reasons. Um, but it's a very hazardous profession. And hundreds of police in New York City, for example, when New York was at the center point of, of the mm-hmm. pandemic earlier, uh, earlier in 2020, uh, hundreds of them were getting sick. You know, and we just have to do better uh, for the people that are protecting us, mm-hmm. protecting them. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So um, I, I really thank you for the, the work, the research you're doing in this space. It's, it's such a critical uh, area of focus um, and, and, and very key to the survival of many service businesses. Many, as you pointed out, have been very have been impacted very in a very tough way because of the very nature of the work that they do, the close contact and so forth. Um, and definitely your, your, uh, the commentary you have around the essential services workforce 
really important theme that that requires more attention and and reflection, I think, particularly as we emerge from the current uh, crisis, uh, to start thinking about how do we make sure this never happens again uh, and, and we get better and more resilient as, as a society. Uh, so thank you very much for the time that you've taken. Uh, as, as we've talked about with uh, Hurricane Laura coming around, please please stay safe and healthy. Uh, and, and thank you for taking the time today to share your, your thoughts and insights. Well, thank you, Eric, for having me on the show. It, it's it's my pleasure. I, I enjoyed our conversation very much. Like what we do? Share this on your socials and tell everyone. Thank you for listening to the CX Guru on C-Suite Radio. Increase the value you create. Grow your brand. Drive your success. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Come back in two weeks for the next episode or listen to our sister show, The Ops Guru with Eric McCroskey. Fuel your future. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.